Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Imagine if one of the best songwriters in Nashville decided to devote all his creative energies to making music and books and a television show for children. You don't have to imagine it because it's already happened. Randall Goodgame is the mastermind behind the Slugs and Bugs franchise. I think you're going to love hearing from him. Randall Goodgame, I'm so glad you're here. I, um, well, I just, I love you. Um, I also love your work. Um, Slugs and Bugs music, Slugs and Bugs books, a Slugs and Bugs TV show, which I think will have started by the time this this podcast airs, right? When, yeah, man. I when does that so. release? When um, is that, or whatever I the word is? It's the uh, either end of September or beginning of October. Uh huh. That's very exciting. Yeah, man. And I want to get back. I, I want to circle back around to television um, because I don't. I don't know that I've had a television writer on the podcast yet, so so I, I want to talk about that. But <laughs> but first, I want to talk about this idea. I, I just want to talk about writing for children. Sure. You know, because when when we met, we met before Slugs and Bugs started, mm-hmm. and I loved your your music, your Randall Goodgame music for grown ups so much. And then, um, and I loved you know the first Slugs and Bugs record when it came out, and but then when you said. I think this is what I'm going to do is children's music. I'm I'm now the slugs and bugs guy. I'm now a children's, you know. Now I write for children. I'm not going to be doing the the nearly as much of the grown up music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were lots. There were lots of friends who pushed back and said, "Randall, you are like a genius at writing grown up music. Why are you, you know, not doing that anymore?" And I was one of those people who. Had my doubts. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember all too well. Yeah, man, it was crazy. I, uh, I, um, I'd never experienced anything like that before. Where usually, you know, your ideas, your your community, your friends, um, even my wife, uh, people that I would tell would they either would look at me sideways, like, wait, really? You're, like you're just you're not gonna do your other like you're writing songs for adults, um, and. And my Amy, we still laugh about it because she uh, she just didn't. She was like, I don't I don't know how that's going to work. I don't, I don't know why you'd want to do that. Yeah. And um, it's such a uh, it's it. There's a lot of things I think about that. One is sometimes you've just you just got to go with your gut. You know, however mm-hmm. the Lord communicates calling. I had never felt quite so sure that I was fit for something before like that in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and it also, I, it, it's been great fun for me to kind of turn around and turn it around on, on friends like you and Andrew that 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 uh, questioned whether it was a good idea to um, because in truth it, it it sort of points a finger at how much do you really value children's yeah um, yeah um, works because we all say yeah it's important to make good stuff for kids but then um, when you saw one of your friends that you liked what he you know his skill level. And so they're to to think of it might be wasted on kids mm-hmm. is uh it's a good sort of cautionary tale about what we think about how we think about what children are worth yeah yeah so um so tell me about i mean you're obviously all in on 
writing for children. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you learned in that process, or or, or what have you? Um, well, just tell me about that. Sure, man. So so much. I mean, one thing, one reason I think uh, that writing for kids helps me so much is is you just you you just get to be sincere, and that's just kind of my happy place uh, mm-hmm. um, when. Just children just want to know the truth. They want to know not like a sideways version of it. They don't want to be. They don't want you to be sarcastic. Mm-hmm. They just want even when you're whether you're being silly or you're being serious. They just want you to be simple and sincere. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a home where sincerity was just the the name of the game. There wasn't a lot of the only laughter in my house had to do with silliness there wasn't a lot uh-huh. of sarcasm nobody likes nobody liked being made fun of yeah um not a lot of finger pointing type of play so uh it's it's great fun for me to dive into um uh, a story or thinking about life in a way that i can just be really honest and sincere about what i'm feeling and what i'm thinking and tr- because I trust that that's what this audience, I can trust that that's what this audience wants. Okay, so what is it? Emily Dickinson says, "Tell the truth, but tell it slant." Um, you know, her approach, and so many writers' approach to telling the truth is you got to find some slant. And you're suggesting that in, in your line of work, you can be a little more straight on, straight ahead. Is that fair to say? I I think so. I think when I'm writing. Um, Maybe the the slant is um, it's inward, or let me sure sure how to say it. When I'm approaching writing for kids, I'm not thinking that I'm trying to teach them something. Okay, I'm I'm approaching them as at least a peer, at huh. least someone that knows as much about life as I do, because they've got something that I've lost. They've mm-hmm. got a sense of um, sincerity about the world. They. Um, we sort of cloak how we feel, and we are, we put on masks in front of one another. And children don't do that; they just yeah. are who they are. And I want to return to that and get back to that. So, at the very least, I feel like I'm writing to someone for someone that is an equal, if not someone I have to learn from. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of in you know three out of four gospels. Jesus says, "If you can't, if you don't come to me like a child, you can't come into the kingdom." And so what do you, I mean, I read that and think, okay, well, I want to be like a child. Yeah. In First Corinthians, he says, you know, I, Paul talks about how he gives up childish ways. So you've got that uh-huh. also to consider. You, you don't want to be an immature person. Yeah. But what, one thing I think Jesus is getting at is um, being bare with our neediness and exposed with our, our, our messiness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pure in our faith, just like just trusting. Like our, our kids, they don't wonder in a healthy family. They don't wonder where their food's coming from. They just expect it. Yeah. And and God, Jesus wants us to just expect Him to provide. Mm-hmm. So when and if if kids are naturally that way, and I'm not, then I I want to learn from them. I want to learn that from them. So I'm I'm writing. To people that I hope approve of, and I can, I'm trying to reach a level of sincerity and authenticity. So maybe the slant is is trying to reach for something that is maybe beyond my grasp, and just doing the best I can to get there. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, when you talk about this idea of children having a, a purity that we, you know, and a, a, a an honest approach to the truth and caring about what's true rather than, I mean, I was thinking in terms of, you you, you spoke in terms of you know, our tendency to, to hide or to be sarcastic. Another way that we approach truth is to say, I'm going to manipulate truth so that I get what I want, or I'm, you know, or what really matters here is power relations, and, and all truth is a function of, you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, the kind of stuff you, you learn in college. <laughs> you sure. Yeah. That, that it's, and, and, and kids are still working from the assumption that, no, there are things that are true and things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so I'm going to approach the world from, from, that, from that point of view. Um, sometimes I hear people talking about, uh, re-enchanting the world, like the artist's job is to re-enchant the world because we, we, you know, as we grow up, we we grow disenchanted. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that language, um, but I've also been thinking a little bit about the idea that maybe we need to that that's the that's the assumption that kids that when you say i'm i'm now disenchanted that's assuming that somehow i know what's truer than than what kids do that when i was and and it's possible that you know, an enchantment is a is a spell that's been cast on you that that's what enchantment means and i wonder if it's possible that we're the ones who it's the grown-ups who are enchanted mm. maybe it's maybe what we need is to be disenchanted mm-hmm. i mean I, in some ways it's just saying the same thing and opposite ways but but sometimes i find it helpful to think in terms of you know my job as a writer as as a as a creative person maybe it's not to re-enchant but to disenchant mm-hmm. to say no 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 here, here's what's real yeah i feel like and we've talked about this before how part of the writing the storytelling process is finding out is discovering mm-hmm. and and, re, and and the process of writing reveals what's the most true um and I was, you know, uh, we were talking about book writing, but I was thinking about a song I wrote years ago. I want I was writing a song for um, my son who we had adopted, mm-hmm. and um, we the the I wanted to approach it from the perspective that um, I can't write a song about adoption without at least addressing that it is it begins with something sad. You, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't want to go. You know, too hard and sad. I wanted to be a kids, a fun kids song, but I didn't want to leave that unsaid. So I remember the first line I had written was, um, "I was born into a story, and I was born into a family where I could not stay." And sure, I cried. I mean, wouldn't you? But that was my beginning. Just turn the page, and then you'll find in chapter two how love had a plan for me. And I was never quite settled with it because it just felt a little. It just <laughs> that, felt, that is a little dark. It's hard, yeah. But yeah. I, but I was going for. I wanted to teach. That this is hard. This that you, you. The point is, I was going. I was aiming for a thing I thought I wanted to say. But the more I, I showed it to people, friends that had adopted kids, the consensus was, yeah, you can't sing that. That's going to make everybody too sad. So I just kept praying and thinking and working and, and um, what I began to strive for was, okay, if this is too sad, what's the most true thing I can? Can I go even deeper with? Not thinking about something I wanted to teach, but what can I learn? Yeah. And what occurred to me eventually was that we're all born into a sad story. We're all born yeah. into a broken world. We're broken people. 
And we've all got to navigate this world with a limp and figure out how we fit in. And so that brought me to this the line that finally landed, which is, I was born into a story full of twists and turns, mm. even the scary kind, and that's the truth. And that was my beginning, but just turn the page, and there you'll find in chapter two how love had a plan for me. So, I, it, in stopping trying to teach something and beginning to listen to what I had to learn, yeah. I landed on something that was even more true, both for for adopted kids, but also just for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that humble approach to you know if if I'm coming in with a with a didactic plan for mm-hmm. my listener, my reader, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I'm limiting myself to what I already know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And and so you opened yourself up to to something that was that was you know more than what you thought you knew it at mm-hmm. first. Yeah, and it's funny I don't usually approach things like that thinking okay this is what i want to say but that time i did mm-hmm. and it was great proof that that is a that has a, a terrible limitation there's such a low ceiling for what you can do yeah. when you're going in saying here's what i'm going to teach you yeah um yeah. rather than all right i need i have an idea but i know i don't know enough mm-hmm. so yeah yeah what can i coming learn? in with questions instead of answers mm-hmm. led to something good mm-hmm. um and I have to say, there's there's a lot I like about that story. Um, I mean, there was there was friendship was involved, like you know your your friends stepping in and saying, "Let me help you with this." Mm-hmm. Um, although some of the same friends who said, you know, <laughs> we, we've got <laughs> you need your friends, you need your friends, yeah, sure. right. Um, and um, but then I'm really interested in this idea that that you that you insisted that it was important to you to tell this hard part of the story in a kid's song, right? I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I know you, you looked for another way to do it, but what you didn't say is, this is kind of dark and I'm not going to, you know, this is, this is supposed to be a happy song, so we're, we're going to avoid the, the dark. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, very, I think it's, I don't, I don't want to interrupt where you're going. No, but, no. Just, yeah, that is such a, um, it's such a common misconception that people come in with writing for kids which is they're they are afraid um of asking too much of them mm-hmm. like um, i'm gonna well i don't want to ask them to think that deeply or, or or that but i feel like it's the opposite problem we ask too little mm-hmm. of them they kids have experienced every emotion just about that we have yeah. they, they they understand pride and anger and jealousy and and um grief you know they, they've they've been there that by the time they're six yeah they've experienced all of it yeah. Um, Flannery O'Connor said, anybody who sur- survived childhood has enough material to be writing for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so I think we just forget, as adults, we forget that um, kids um, have this vast uh, emotional depth. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's, I, it's again part of being sincere, taking them seriously, is saying that here's a full, a full seven-year-old person, a full nine-year-old person, that, um, and how can I communicate to them in such a way that reveals that I take them seriously? Yeah. Um, well, you begin by actually taking them seriously, <laughs> yeah, and, right? And and considering I have something to learn f- from you, um, but I have also been alive longer, so I'm gonna I'm better at telling stories, you know, yeah. than a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna use my giftedness at telling a story, and um, 
be inspired by their, uh, you know, sincerity. Yeah. Um, to try to come up with something that resonates. That's great. So, am I correct in my assumption that you know, it, even that song that you know I'm adopted that starts out and it's just a couple of lines of mm-hmm. you know sadness, but there's a little, little bit of sadness in there. Um, do you think you would have had a hard time pushing that um, that song through the pipeline if you'd had if you'd been on a on a record label or a I mean because this was an independent yeah Slugs and Bugs is all independent all independent right? yeah and so you have this artistic intellectual freedom mm-hmm. that not everybody has yeah it is so great it is such a great uh just perk of of not being with a label i can't really speak to it what it would have been like because i've i've yeah. never been i've only <laughs> i've only heard stories yeah right um but I, along the way i have had different people in management and other other situations that have tried to steer me in ways that were more or less marketable the way they perceived yeah and um I, yeah, it's, you, you told me a story once about uh you mentioned Obama. You you run pajamas with Obama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't talk to him. And that's right. And they're like, well, you know, you you a lot of Christians don't like Obama. You're gonna have to take him out. And I thought you're crazy. I'm not, <laughs> I love that. I yeah, love that. Nothing else runs with Obama with, yeah. with pajamas. So um, it is a great perk about writing for kids. And another thing, another thing is that there's no there's no box of like stylistically i can mm. go from like an arena rock song into <laughs> like a jazz piece into yeah. you know like a, a, a you know late 2000s pop you know yeah. i mean i can i can do anything as long as it's melodic and captivating artistically the kids will go they yeah. they, they got no expectations of oh this is not like his last record <laughs> You know, so yeah, there's right. so much freedom in that. It's yeah. it's a great fit for you're me. You're saying because you're writing for kids, because you're not on a label. What what are you all that? Because all that. because I'm writing for children, um, I'm able to have all the freedom I could ever want with what with it, stylistically. Because yeah. I'm not on a label, I'm certainly not hemmed in by the, the same things. You know, a, a label would probably want you to stick near to your to your sound whatever and i don't know i don't think i even have a sound i just yeah. have a, a songwriting style yeah but um but uh yeah there are certainly advantages and, and i mean uh the way the music business has gone these days with the collapse of the record label um it's record labels if i had a friend who was going to get signed by a record label my first question would be why are you signing with a record label mm-hmm. what are they going to bring to the table that you can't yeah. do yourself so yeah. Okay. So, you you have this. I, I would say you have a a unique vision, unique voice. Um. A a. Is your approach? I mean, uh, it, it, your your approach to communicating with kids is, if not unique, very unusual. I mean, the, the seriousness with which you take them, all that sort of thing. Um. And you do the work you do requires a lot of collaboration mm-hmm. with people who may or may not have your unique vision. I mean, by definition, if it's unique, then the people you're working with don't don't have your vision. Um, I want to talk about that. Okay, I, I've had a lot of my guests have talked about collaboration, and it's always a, a very you know happy you know. But we we spend most of our time talking about the um, advantages 
of collaboration. Sure. And I know you have benefited hugely from collaboration. Sure, yeah. But I keep trying to get people to talk about the challenges of collaboration. And I feel like oh, yeah. maybe you've got something to say about that because, you know, you have this unusual perspective. Um, hmm. Yeah. So uh, you're right. Like collaboration has been just such a gift to me and uh, through the years. Um, in some ways, in a lot of ways, it's helped me grow as a disciple because mm, yeah. you, uh, in order to collaborate, you've just got to die. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. you, you've <laughs> got to fall on your sword over and over yeah. again because <clears throat> it's it's loving someone else. It's mm-hmm. listening to them mm-hmm. more than um, it's holding loosely to what you've created. Yeah. Um, but for sure, um, there are times where you, uh, where, I mean, I'm thinking of a handful right now. Um, times where you know you're part of the process, you're collaborating with someone hopefully that you trust. Right. So part of the the good part of collaborating is trusting them, and then in having let go, you see oh they brought something really fun to the table, and then you build on that. Yeah. But sometimes you you trust them and it and you realize well that didn't work. Um. So yeah, let's try something else. Yeah, I'm kind of asking leading questions here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get right to the example I, I had in mind. Okay. Because, sure. Um, you know, you're, you've got the Slugs and Bugs television show, um, which what I've seen of it is just so great. I can't wait for everybody to, to see that show. Yeah, um, it's crazy that there even exists. A I know. Slugs and and, and obviously, I mean, television is such a collaborative. I mean, it's a, one of the most collaborative art forms there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in your case, you knew pretty much nothing about television, right? And so sure. you were so dependent on everybody. I mean, from the from the even though you're a writer, you're not a screenwriter, and mm-hmm. so you had to depend on you know, all that. All, you know, you're, depend, you're, you're depending on people for everything. And, and I remember, a, you know, you you brought your you had your first set of scripts. Oh yeah, I brought you and yeah. and Pete and, and yeah. AP. And I, I remember looking at it and thinking, okay, as TV scripts go, this this look it looks like whoever wrote this knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. But it doesn't look like Randall. Right. Yeah, I remember thinking, this seems like a TV show that someone would make, but it's not the TV show I want to make. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what? I, I couldn't articulate why. And I need, you guys were so helpful with helping me see that what this is doing is what it's missing is the things that, that you, that I bring. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever nuance and ways of approaching children. I think part of it was what we've been talking about, not taking kids seriously enough. It's like they were the the writers had approached had approached some topics talking to kids as if they needed to learn instead yeah. of talking to kids as if they're just people we're with. Yeah. And um so it was hugely helpful to to get that feedback. And then um you know, to take it to go back again and again to the writers and say, "Hey, we uh, here's what we want to, here's how we want to communicate," and um, it was a challenge to mm-hmm. to to communicate the what, what's important about slugs and bugs, um, valuing, uh, uh, talking about serious things um, in a way that is respectful of children. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they were being disrespectful, but you're right. It is. It was different, and so it, we ended up actually bringing in someone from our community, as you know, Doug mm-hmm. McKelvey, mm-hmm. who I just knew and trusted would be a 
a great communicator. He's an experienced screenwriter, and he was able to kind of bridge the gap between these other writers that were great at at sort of arcing a story Mm -hmm. and um, aligning scenes and Mm -hmm. some character development, but the actual, like the little language that matters so much in the way that people are speaking to another. I remember you saying, these... Uh, I don't know anybody that talks to each other this way, the way that these people are talking to each other in the yeah. story. It seems yeah. like a, a, a made-up world that doesn't really exist. And that's, yeah. they that's, talk to each other the way people talk to each other on, on TV. TV shows. Right, which is not, which, that's not how we wanted to communicate. We wanted yeah. to communicate as, as people really living together would. So, yeah, that was, um, that that built on itself in such a wonderful way because your your y'all's feedback helped me to get to Doug who was ended up writing a ton of it. Yeah. Well, I just remember thinking about your situation, you know, as I was thinking about the the sort of fix you were in where you were completely dependent on these people who know way more than you do about television. Mhm. And and yet you had to you had to say, you know, 90% of this y'all know more than I do, but in this the core of this, I'm the only person who can who can do this? Yeah, and I've got to stand my ground. I mean, and I, 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 there had to have been so many times when you were having to negotiate. Do I stand my ground here? Do I re- do I know what I'm talking about? Do I not what I'm, know what I'm talking about? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was like a minefield of that. I was yeah. always. I definitely. I'm I'm 45 years old. I could not have done it at 35. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Because the amount of confidence you have to have in yourself and your own vision, I, I just wouldn't have had at 35. Yeah. Um, the willingness. To be wrong, you know, I would, yeah. I, uh, I used to would have rather been, I would rather um, just let it go because I'm, af- I would afraid I'd be wrong, right? Um, but to be able to stand on my own two feet and say, you know what, this still isn't right. I know mm-hmm. it's going to tick them off, yeah. But it's still. And I know not y'all right. worked really hard on this, yeah. But I, I'm gonna, I ended up rewriting a ton of, of the really nuanced kind of gospel talk mm-hmm. because it still kind of wasn't wasn't right i remember we were in the in an episode recording and the 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 episode recording we we did 13 13 shows in less than two weeks good grief and so we were moving so fast and sometimes i wasn't even be able to look at other people's lines i was just looking at mine to memorize them and fixing them and changing them to to sort of fit the way I wanted these things to communicate. And we did an episode with uh, Jason Eskridge, who's a brilliant uh-huh. singer, sung yeah. on a, a wonderful guy, sang on a, sung on a ton of Slugs and Bug stuff. And he said a line, I wish I could remember what it was, that I just, we, we finished the scene and I said, I'm sorry, we've got to stop. That the, What he just said about how we uh, like listen to Jesus or live out the gospel, I, we just can't say it that way. It was saying things that, you know, something that sounded true, like, and um, don't forget, Jesus died for your sins, so now we can live with him every day. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, But I think what the problem with those kinds of answers is they happen a lot of times, not every time, they happen a lot of times when people aren't really listening. Yeah, We've all experienced, whether we've seen it happen or we've experienced ourselves, people giving easy answers yeah. to us. Yeah. And... When someone gives you an easy answer, what you mean is you're saying something that sounds true but doesn't impact me at all. Yeah. It's just noise. It's just I don't have to listen because I already know what you're saying. Yeah. So um, that proves to me that you aren't loving me. Mm-hmm. You aren't 
loving me. You're, 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 you're saying something you already know that you think fits this situation, but you're not listening to me, the person. It makes me think of the passage um, when Jesus is talking to the, you know, the NIV calls it the rich young ruler, where uh, um, he says, I've done all these things. I've, I've honored my father and my mother. I've kept the commandments. I've done all these things since I was, um, since I was a boy. What more can I do? Mm-hmm. And it says, Jesus, um, listen, Jesus loved him and said, well, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything to the poor, uh, give everything away to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it says he loved him before he said those things. Mm. And so, what, what Jesus was doing was listening to the man, like what yeah. that guy needed. Yeah. He knew this, that this is going to hit you where you don't want to be hit. So I'm gonna. I'm listening to you, the specific person in front of me. I'm not giving an answer that a platitude that could sort of, you know, make me feel good about having remembered um, some abstract truth. Yeah. And um, whatever Jason was, whatever his script line was in that scene, it was some abstract platitude. And I just said, okay, let's stop and figure out what is it that would actually address this person in this moment, in this scene. And then we can move on. Yeah. I love that insight that listening is important to writing. That's that's great. Um, and it's kind of what you've been talking about this since we sat down here. Right? You know, you the the adoption song you managed to to get right because you were listening. Sure. And and yeah. not just not just I'm going to tell I'm gonna tell you kids something, but I'm gonna to listen to A what you need to be what I need and and it was in in that listening that you uh, that you found your way. Hmm. I love that insight. Hmm. And you know, it's, it's funny talking about TVs. There's there's so often you don't have time to uh, to to uh, make to to even even that moment was a risk because yeah. you we had to stop everything and everything's you know moving on such a back quick schedule and thankfully it wasn't a long passage i had to rewrite but um you uh but a big part of working in that scenario is trying to be as prepared as you can ahead of time because um you know we happen to have the luxury of a moment to address it um, but sometimes I'm sure there's lots of times where I'm not listening because I'm just focusing so hard on trying to remember my lines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think li- of course listening's got to be important. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like you said, it's it's coming to a situation as if I already know everything. Yeah. Which I certainly don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I, I want to. I just want to always be learning. Yeah. Well. That's um, that's really helpful. I, I'm I'm really glad we got to that to that that point. I mean, th- this idea of, of listening, um, and I, I think it's so important to everything you've been talking about, including collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. And and in collaboration, in, in the collaboration that you've described here, it's 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 always you know listening to your friends, listening to the, to the to your collaborators, and then there, but there's also this this idea that you've got to listen to to that vision 
you listen to vision. That's a mixed metaphor, but but yeah, uh, you 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 have this unique vision yeah. that is why you're doing this, mm-hmm. and insofar as your collaborators can help you bring that vision to life, great. Mm-hmm. And by the way, and that, that and that doesn't make you the center of the world. It just makes you the center of this particular project. And there are other situations in which you're listen, you're helping somebody else make their vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, come I, into the world. I, and I never feel like, I, thankfully, I never feel like, even though I am carrying the vision, mm-hmm. the vision I'm carrying is to serve. I, I'm, I'm thinking of other people, yeah. so I never, I, it never, I'm never afraid that I'm going to be, um, you know, uh, autocratic. Or, yeah, right. Uh, or demagogish about yeah. it. Yeah, because I'm. I'm fight I, when I'm fighting for something. I'm not fighting for me. I'm fighting yeah. for the, the the kids. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. and my the way that the Lord has shaped my heart to, to serve them. So it's easy to to in some way, in some respects, to to stop wow. the set and go, nope, this isn't right. Yeah, because I'm not fighting for me necessarily. I'm fighting for the kids that will watch this. Yeah, I love it. All right, last question. Sure. Who are the writers who make you want to write? Oh, great. Uh, so, um, I, yeah, you know what? My answer is going to be so, probably like everybody else you have on here, because I am right now in the middle of reading uh, The Lord of the Rings again for like uh-huh. the fourth time. And um, I, I'm on like chapter seven or eight, and, and I was telling somebody the other day, Chapter five is where um, Sam and Frodo, sorry, Sam and Mary and Pippin reveal to Frodo that they've known all along that he's going to try to leave. And they uh, they sort of reveal it to him in such a way. He's all frustrated with them because he, they're, he's like, well, I can't trust anybody. I can't even trust yeah. my own friends. And they say, well, you can trust us not to let, let, not to let you go into peril alone. <laughs> And that just made me cry. I had to stop and just it was like <laughs> just friendship, you know how yeah. it, how it so poignantly um, points to this, the call of our that call of our hearts to friendship. So Tolkien makes me want to write, um, but also as far as writing for kids, um, uh, Kate DiCamillo. She uh, her book, um, the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane. What an amazing I can book. just read it again and again and again and talk about someone that's not afraid to take kids seriously. Yeah. Um they that the her the characters in her book go through everything. Mm-hmm. Hard, sad things. Yeah. And um I think that's why I love them because they don't feel like children's stories. They just feel like stories. Yeah. C.S. Lewis talks about there's three kinds of kids' stories. One is is the like the bad kind. Which is thinking, I have something to teach you. Mm-hmm. The second kind is is uh, the kind that you tell to a particular kid. You're mm. telling a story to one child, and then the third kind is the kind that he said he wrote, which was um, that a story that the the best way you know how to tell a story is to tell it in a in a story in a form that would be good for children. And I feel that way about it. Like uh, I'm also reminded. Um, Maurice Sendak, who I'm a huge fan uh-huh. of, and the way that he's very happy to have children eaten by animals. Yeah. Um, uh, I he said I don't write for kids. 
I just write. Yeah. People say that kids like my stories. And um, I, maybe I'm, I don't go quite that far. I, I, think, I, uh, I think of kids while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. But um, the way that Kate is, uh, she respects them enough to, uh, to speak to them about the full gamut of the human experience is, um, is super inspiring. So, yeah, yeah, if your listeners out there don't know her, go read her books. Yeah. I know she makes you want to write. She makes you want to be a better person. Makes you want to hug your kids. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you're not the first person on the Habit Podcast to say Kate DiCamillo is their person that makes them want to write. I believe it. Yeah. Well, they should go get her books. That's right. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Jonathan. This is so fun, man. You do a great job. So do you. See you, man. Oh, all right. See you. <laughs> the Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member rabbitroom.com slash donate